we do have members coming forward and saying we don't have access to PPE. That is just absolutely unacceptable. Delighted to be here with Jim Fahey, the Assistant Director of ERAS, which is the Employment Relations Union Services for the CSP, for our CSP newscast number two. We're hitting the frequently asked questions, and of course, the thing on everyone's lips at the moment is PPE. What is it? What does it mean? What are the obligations, responsibilities? What's the CSP's line on it? That's where a lot of frequently asked questions have come in, and so it's been prioritised for this week's newscast. So welcome Jim, would you like to introduce yourself further for the listeners? Uh, hi, uh, my name's Jim Farhi. I'm an EU Assistant Director, um, as Jack has said, for the Employment Relations and Union Services at the CSP. Fantastic. What, what I thought would be smart for us to, to start with then, Jim, is to just define terms a little bit. What is PPE? What do we mean by this acronym that's everywhere? Yeah, frequently used and not always understood. Um, PPE basically stands for personal protective equipment. So it's things that people utilise to keep themselves safe in any workplace. And in this instance, um, because because uh, whilst because that's such a catch-all term and it could mean different things in different industries, why is it so relevant right now? In healthcare, it is absolutely critical at the moment. Um, now, that is because it is the one barrier between our members and any member of staff working in health and social care and potentially being infected with a virus. It is the protection between those two things. And what we don't want to be happening is for members or anybody else to be catching this virus whilst at work. Mm. And why is it why is it that it's so prevalent at the moment in terms of the the media and things there there is a couple of issues going on um the first one is the availability of ppe in the workplace and some of that has been down to not having a good supply being provided to different health and social care settings some of that has also been confusion within those settings about what should be utilized by different people it's also been confusing in relation to what actually the levels of PPE should be utilised in different settings. So one of those, for instance, is might be what you utilise in a ward setting in a hospital as opposed to what you utilise in an intensive care unit. Right, OK. And so because it's such a catch-all term, what levels are relevant to our members at the moment? COVID-19 is a, uh, I mean, it's important to remember that COVID-19 is a droplet virus. Now, because of that, that makes a difference to the type of levels of PPE that people need. So if you're in a, a ward setting and you're going to be seeing a patient or treating a patient in that setting, what you should be looking at is to wear an apron, gloves, something called a fluid resistant surgical mask and some form of eye protection, whether that be goggles or a face mask. That would be standard in any ward setting for treating your patients right now. And is that all patients? That will be all patients. You might change that level by having a, a risk assessment 
for each and every patient that you see. Now that sounds a really formal process. I'm sure we'll go into that a little bit more later. But even if that's something in your head, what do I need to safely see this patient? What level of protection do I require? So those four things of PPE that I just mentioned, your apron, your gloves, your eye protection, and your face mask are the starting point. If you think somebody's going to be coughing, you might want to definitely have a visor. You may also want to put one of the surgical face masks on the patient if they can, if they can accept that across their face. So if they've not got oxygen in, in situ, something like that. Right, okay. And when it comes to where the CSPs stand at the moment with regards to the Public Health England guidance, where, where are the CSP at with PPE and what we're advising members? Where we are now is a much better place than where we were about a week ago. Um, the, the, the refreshed guidance came out last Thursday evening, which is vastly improved to what it was. We had been lobbying for an improvement in the guidance and, and largely we've got it. We are now at a point where we agree with the overwhelming vast majority of that guidance from Public Health England. And it's not just about England, this is across all four countries. So all of the guidance across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland is the same. And it's all been agreed. In relation to the droplet precautions in a ward setting, we agree with what Public Health England are saying. Apron, gloves, mask and eye protection. That is the appropriate level for a droplet-borne virus. You mentioned there an overwhelming agreement between the CSP and the PHE guidance. However, that means there is a distinction. Let's just mention what that is then. What is the difference between CSP and PHE on that? Yeah, uh, there's just one area where we differ from the public health guidance, and that's around uh, chest physiotherapy with airway clearing techniques. So from our perspective, if we're using airway clearing techniques, we follow the World Health Organization information, which suggests that they are potentially aerosol generating techniques. Now, if you're doing something that is aerosol generating, actually what we should be wearing is FFP3 full, uh, full protection. Now, at the moment, the information from the Public Health England is saying it should just be droplet precautions. We are aware that the, air, the aerosol generating techniques are being reviewed as we speak, but we are still waiting to see what they come down and, and say those are. We're hopeful that chest physiotherapy utilising airway clearing techniques is going to be added into that, but we can't say for definite. So that is the one area that we are different and that is supporting members to undertake that treatment specifically. Brilliant. Well, hopefully the guidance moves in that direction. And if not, no doubt you guys will be able to be vocal in your opposition to that or calls for refinement. Yes, we're going to continue calling for that refinement. And the CSP have been vocal this week with regards to availability. Where do we stand on, on that and, and what lobbying is being done? So the availability in the first place is 
is affecting many areas. Um, we do have members coming forward and saying we don't have access to PPE. That is just absolutely unacceptable. What we ended up doing last week was putting out a very public statement to that effect. And we also wrote to the health ministers in each of the four countries directly. We've had some feedback from a number of the shadow um, cabinet including John Ashworth, who came back immediately and said, actually, how can I help? How can I influence? We're getting reassurances that the supply chain is improving, but we've been hearing that for weeks. And we're still getting the odd member now saying we still haven't quite got access to what we need. So we think it's improving, but we just don't think it's quite there yet. And so when when members are in these situations, where do they stand and what should they do? So if a member hasn't got access to PPE, their risk assessment should show that it is too risky to assess that patient without it. They should not be putting themselves in harm's way. Their employer has a legal obligation not to put them in harm's way. And therefore, if that is the case, regardless of where they're working, they should be contacting either their local steward or their local health and safety rep. If they can't get hold of one of those, then their local infection control manager. Now, all three of those would be able to assist them with the legal side and enforce the duty of care of the employer for the safety of their employees. They should not feel forced into seeing a member without the appropriate PPE. That is absolutely unacceptable. From that point of view, if, if they get to the point of trying to speak to one of their stewards or safety reps or the infection control manager and they still don't feel like they're being supported, then I would suggest they come through to the CSP and they speak to their local senior negotiating officer. And in these circumstances, do we feel that the, um, the calls are being heard and are members to be reassured that, that progress is being made? I am comfortable that, that the cause is being heard. Um, I am hearing that there is more PPE. I am hearing there is more PPE um, coming into hospital settings. The number of our stewards that are contacting us around a lack of adequate supply is definitely a lot lower than it was. The main emphasis now seems to be on what is the appropriate PPE in order to see a patient. One of the things that understand members have been considering is that is there a legal difference between our current circumstance and what we consider peacetime or normal working operating procedure is there is there a difference in expectation obligation for them right now than how they would typically behave six months ago realistically um no the law is the law and it's the same now as it was six months ago if you want to go a little bit deeper into that then 
what I would say is we have to hold the feet of the employers to the fire and say, actually, although this is massively important and there is a pandemic response going on, you still have a legal obligation to look after the health, safety and well-being of your employees. That must happen. And what they can't do, and it's totally unacceptable to do, is to try and push or cajole members to see patients without appropriate protections in place. And so this, when it comes to people being explicitly told or suggested that they should do something that's outside of what they feel is, is safe practice, um, there is then this grey area of being sort of it being assumed or understood or sort of hinted at and things like that. So it's not always as, as clean cut as it being an explicit ask to do something unsafe. Should members be cautious and, and, and aware that it's up to them to, to try and make sure that they define those boundaries clearly? I mean, the boundaries would be set by the risk assessment. So this is where we come back to that being so important. And this is one of the things that that was so improved from the public health recommendations last week. There is an emphasis within all of that guidance, risk assess. Risk assess every single patient that you're seeing. What are you seeing them for? What are you going to undertake? How close are you to them? Are you undertaking a treatment or are you over two meters away? What is the likely events that's going to occur in those treatments? Is your patient going to be coughing? Are they not? Are you at risk if you don't have adequate protection around your nose, your face, your eyes, your mouth? These are the bits that you've got to go back to. Risk assessment is key. And that risk assessment is something that is inherent to practice and therefore sometimes in normal normal undertakings might not be formalized in its documentation or made as formal in the process as maybe it's pertinent to do now is the recommendation for us to risk assess thoroughly and formally and document such in in a way that would be far more thorough perhaps than would be in normal terms i think we have to take a common sense approach to that now the vast majority of patients that we're going to see we can just risk assess in our heads. And if you're comfortable with the levels of access to PPE and the appropriate PPE being in place, that's absolutely fine. The real issue is where there is a lack of PPE or you feel you're not being supported appropriately around the requirements of PPE that you think are appropriate for that patient. That is where it is really important that that risk assessment process must be written down. No, that's really helpful for us to know. Anything else on, on risk assessment and obligations and responsibilities within the workplace on, on that level? I think just to reiterate that important bit um, around the need for maintaining good note systems, even in these, these difficult days of pandemic, within that, if there is going to be a problem around seeing a patient, it's exactly the same. You need that written down. So your risk assessment, you would make it formal. You would have the conversations with your manager. You may be getting your local steward or health and safety rep involved. If not one of those, it really does need to be the infection control manager for your service. 
When it comes to terms of safety, I think sometimes the lines are, uh, while still challenging, the lines are a bit crisper than when it comes to terms of competence or perceived being being asked to do something that is outside of your personal skill set, especially in times where people are going to be working outside of their typical day job. Um, are those are those lines blurry, and and how do we sharpen them up? I think for some individuals, they are blurry. We have people that are being redeployed um, and utilizing their skill sets elsewhere. So uh, for instance of that, maybe a pediatric physio who is moving away from children and shifting into an uh, acute care setting. The question is, what acute care setting? So those conversations need to be had with the manager. What is my skill set? what am I able to do safely and what is required within the workplace and trying to match those things together. It's about a conversation. So it's not about just pulling somebody out of a service and saying you're going to work there without giving them any training that they require in order to be supported. And where does someone stand if they then are not just in terms of role, so they're placed into a role that seems an appropriate appropriate match for them uh, but then on a task by task basis when when thinking through or undertaking these risk assessments they feel that something is whilst safe isn't you know in terms of its PPE etc but it doesn't feel necessarily wise for them or they don't feel comfortable or competent doing it on a task by task basis. If they're not competent they should be raising that issue up because that's a training need um, now, if training can be provided to ensure competency within that and that can be signed off, that would be fine for the future treatments. If an individual can't be trained up and supported to undertake whatever those tasks are, again, that's coming back to the manager to highlight that as, a, as an issue. And the individual as a professional should be highlighting that they shouldn't be undertaking those tasks they're not competent to undertake. It's your HCPC registration that's on the line. Sure, absolutely. And when it comes to then the broader changes, shall we say, to expectation people are putting on themselves as well as the system at the moment, um, with regards to say they're, they're working, even we could say working within or, or outside of their normal roles, but the sense of obligation and duty is ramping up to some extent we hope that members would have the sense especially off the back of this support from the csp to make sure that they don't put themselves at any unnecessary risks but typically the circumstances where they might be asked or hinted or cajoled as you mentioned earlier into doing something or that that would be sort of put themselves under more undue stress than they would normally tolerate in normal circumstances, they may well feel that, given the lack of support from, from managers, etc., they might feel that they would withdraw their labour under undue stress, mental health reasons. But in these circumstances, they might feel particularly guilty to do so or feel like that is something that they need to step up or put themselves under more pressure. Um, where, do we, where do we stand in terms of supporting members in those circumstances? Well, members shouldn't feel under undue stress to undertake certain roles um, or to work excessive hours. What we would be advising members to do is, is to undertake work that is within their skill set, that is safe to do so, 
where they are provided with a safe environment and the appropriate PPE to do so. Downtime is also exceptionally important, especially now. Members are working within very, very high pressured environments at the moment. And if you can't get away from some of that and spend time outside the workplace, mistakes are going to happen. Mental health is going to deteriorate. Physical health is going to deteriorate. If we don't look after those aspects, potentially we may start to make some poor decisions. It's the same for every single one of us, no matter where we're working. We need to switch off at times as well. Should members be mindful of, of maybe not working to rule in a, in a hard sense on time, but certainly not blowing the lines too far in each ends of the day you know an extra half an hour at the start of the day where you'd normally be hanging your coat up but you're straight into action and then finishing shift that bit later 45 minutes on the end of a typical day because you're you're not typically going to your football training or picking the kids up from school so there's again there's that that obligation that duty which we know members are answering the call left right and center in an, in an, an, an admirable way but fundamentally by doing that every day that speaks to what you've just described there where there could be a risk of burnout yeah i mean we we've all gone into the healthcare profession no matter what setting because we care and as caring individuals we want to do our best every single day for every single patient and at the end of the day or at the start of the day if we get that call to say can you just our natural reaction is to say yes I can. I can help. I can stay a little bit longer. It's about having that sensible thought process with yourself. Actually, how much have I done? Can I safely continue to do this? All the normal laws and regulations are still there. There are still working time regulations. You should still be having a break if you're working over six hours a day. You cannot keep pushing yourself and expect to have very high levels of work and understanding and thought processing clinical reasoning if you've been working eight, nine, ten hours constantly in a very high pressured environment. No, I think that's uh, that's certainly certainly wise words and I hope the members feel supported by that in terms of making sure that they don't push themselves too far because we need you not for just a few days or weeks, we need you for this whole fight and, and you need to pace yourselves and make sure you don't burn yourselves out or get yourself sick and that's on the competence and safety front, just making sure that you don't oblige yourself into stuff that would otherwise be unsafe. Jim Fahey, thank you so much.